Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and we got another pajama pandemic interview going on. We have Chris Roberts, the other part of the Chris R. Squares. Um, It's kind of an inside joke, but I'll let him explain it a little bit. Uh, Chris Roberts, former Army a sniper instructor, you know, and everything that entails, and currently a contract subject matter expert. So welcome to the Everyday Sniper Podcast, Chris. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me. Cool. How's everything going? Good? Man, just trying to try to, try to stay sane over here. <laughs> <laughs> you, stay, you know what? That is the thing, is to stay sane. I found myself yesterday, like, walking in circles in the house, like, at this weird, like, nothing on TV, 6, 7 o'clock, and I was, like, wandering in circles going, what the hell am I doing, dude? Just chill out. So, <laughs> it, it, yeah. Sanity's hard. Yeah, I've been, uh, you know, purposely making myself be positive, you know, because real easily, you know, you'll find yourself being negative about just some random, most little things. And uh, so I found that if every day I make a point to be positive about something that kind of carries over into some of the other things that I do. Nice, nice. So uh, for a bunch of years, you were an instructor on the Army side um, and you came out to the gathering with the other Chris. And in fact, uh Ruben, who was on this podcast, you worked with Ruben, and the three of you guys were all together. And so, go into a little history, introduce yourself to everybody, because this is the first time you've been on the podcast. So, give them the Chris Roberts resume, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like you said, uh, I was teaching out at the uh, sniper school, and actually, when I showed up there, um, the other Chris R. Chris Rance uh, was was going through the certification process at the same time I was. He had he had come over just I think a few weeks before I did. So that very next class that picked up, we we went through our certification process together, started to shoot together, became sniper buddies, and 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 that kind of carried forward through the time that I was instructing there in our in our competition side. And then um, yeah, Ruben was he was one of the guys on our team. So. Uh, uh, Chris Rance and, and, and myself and, and Ruben, we all kind of drove out to the gathering and made a big ordeal out of it because, um, you know, we were trying to try to bring a ton of equipment, ton of guns, ton of ammo, you know, all the way across the country and decided that, you know, driving would be would be the better bet and make a make an ordeal out of it. So nice, yeah. nice. And, and you guys, you guys also have a movie out. What is it? Uh, Two snipers, one hide or something. Uh, you know, I don't think that's going to be the name of it. Um, Chris, I, I think he's I'm not sure what it what it is that he calls it, but I always joke because, yeah, that's that's kind of the theme of the matter was, you know, two snipers, one hide, things happen, and you go from there. Yeah, yeah you got you 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 got the who's who's dominant and who's I get it, man, I get it. You yeah, guys are on the army. The pro pack theme. Yeah, 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 no problem. So, like, we wanted to come on and talk. Because you have certain insights that I won't get into, but let's just tell everybody Chris knows what's going on. And we wanted to talk sort of like the practical application of some of the things. Um, There's been some like minor, really minor, it's more boredom social media controversies than anything. But there's been some sort of minor controversies where people look at something uh, whether it's it could be a, a civilian side competition shooting, it could be the military side, like some of the discussions with radicals and things. But like, what's the mindset behind this? And you and I've talked quite a bit, you know, throughout the weeks and stuff. And we're always kind of bouncing off this. What's what's the thinking behind that? Why are they doing that? And so because you have this insight, we wanted to get your take on some of these 
sort of mindset, you know, directions that people go in when they make these decisions? Yeah, I mean, so I guess lack of a better way of describing it, I would I would call it the practical application. So what is the practical application for a military sniper when we are referencing that to uh, precision marksmanship, precision shooting, you know, uh, and that carries forward into reticles, into weapons, into cartridges. Um, it goes into well, the way we train. It goes in the way we employ our guys. So, um, you know, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's, 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 there's noise, you know, all across the internet, all across, you know, all these different chats and, and, you know, I see a lot of it. It's, it's difficult to, to not chime in sometimes and to, and to kind of jump headlong into it. But, um, I mean, that's yeah, really think, the balance, right? To, to, where do you talk about it and where do you not? Right, yeah. So yeah, usually I limit it to conversations outside of the chat. So like I see it going on and then I text the person directly. And then we kind of joke and snicker and giggle back and forth about it, you know, with the with the, with the the army reticle thing and, and whatever else. And, and then I just, that gives me my woo-saw moment. And I can keep, I can refrain from actually uh, putting that out there across, the, across all the web. Right, right. So... I mean, like caliber wise, I mean, one of the things is, is, is in that, you know, there, there's always that thought of the 300, I I guess we should start kind of there unless you could think of a different way, but I mean, there's all this, you know, the 308s, the end all be all then, you know, the, the, the army always had a great relationship with the 300 win mag. And so that, that little bit better long action and all that. And, and now you're seeing all this movement towards the six, five creed more, the 300 Norma, in, in, you know, all these different little pieces that are moving on the chessboard, you know, it's, it's, it, this is more sort of the, the pawn part of it, um, versus, you know, the, the other players, but it, it, you know, maybe there's some, some thoughts into distances, targets, you know, unknown versus known and, and just, you know, where that sort of thinking for a caliber discussion would go. Right. Yeah, so you know, I guess that's that's kind of one of the 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 most you know arguable things is is what caliber should the military be using? You know, um, and and we see a few different caliber choices across all the different branches. Um, you know, generally speaking, they kind of run in line, um, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with programmatics and 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 how those things are supplied to the force, but. You know, I, the biggest thing that I've seen for trends as far as the military is, is, is it, it's about creating lethality. So that's a big word with the Army over the last few years and was that we need to, we need to create lethality and have overmatch over our enemy. So, you know, when we talk about calibers, you know, we really, you know, the military, from what I've seen, isn't as focused as, you know, uh, external ballistics you know external ballistics are, are great and and you know that is that is a consideration but you know it's kind of more the terminal effect that is is what's important for us because no matter how fast it gets there or how much elevation i have to dial on my turret or um you know any of those things it's what kind of terminal effect is it going to have and so that's why the, the the 30 caliber bullets have always lended themselves to be pretty lethal um, not to say that anything other, you know, wouldn't be lethal. I mean, I, 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 you know, you see, you see plenty of people doing stuff with, with six, five Creedmoors and, 
and that's a fantastic cartridge. It's, it's what I choose to shoot for a lot of the stuff that I do. Um, and I think there's even segments of the military looking at, at applying that, um, especially into their, their semi-automatic type uh, sniper platforms. But, you know, for the most part, we've kind of hung on to the 30 cals for a long time. And so and, they, go ahead. No, I was going to say, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I grant it. You know, what's kind of funny, and, and, and this goes into that, is, you know, like, there's this, it's energy on target. It's terminal ballistics, right? It's that energy. And if you go back to the, not the ASR, but the PSR and prior, they were sort of, and this is where the normal kind of got its foot in the door, where they said, we want X energy at this distance, and, and that and, and that opened the door up for the normas that opened up the door and it's and it's kind of interesting to me to look at how like Europe is so 338 you know all yeah. our NATO allies are 338 and you know like for me personally if I compare a 338 to a 300 win mag I tend to personally like the recoil on a 338 better than on a 300 win mag. Right, it's more of a push than a, a snap. Than a snap, right? Yep. And and so it's funny that we kind of went, nah, we're not going to do that. And and you would almost think, from a NATO standpoint, we would have gotten both feet into bed logistically, right? With the right. same caliber, and that that became a big point of discussion back then. Well, like, well, what are we supposed to do logistics about these rounds that won't be on the battlefield? Is kind of the mindset. But they actually are putting some of these rounds in different places on the battlefield, um, you know, like with the machine guns that might run the normas or, or, or different things like that. But it, it's an interesting sort of dynamic that you guys are looking at an energy number and saying, we want it to do this when it gets there. And then you start boiling all that stuff down to the accuracy requirements, requirements. And, and then you start to see that in practical applications, guys do better over here with the 300 Norma, you know? And it's like, hey, they're doing really good over here. So it's like, right. okay, let's go that way. And, and so it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of look at just because we've bounced. I mean, if you think about it, from 308, or actually we can go small, the 6.5 Creed, the 308, the 300 Win Mag, the 338, and then you had the 300 Norma and the 338 Norma, which sort of dipped the toe into it. So there's yeah. all those yeah. calibers. Right. And, and, and both of those calibers are phenomenal. I mean, they've got a, a pr pretty proven track record. And it's, it's pretty interesting to see, um, you know, what way we can go with that um, or what way the military can go with that, I should say. Because um, what I when I think of those, what I think about is really kind of an improvement on on, on something else. And, and and you know, for all intents and purposes, that's exactly what it is. But from the application side of it, it's you know, how can we take something in that caliber, in that realm, or, or cartridge, that class, you know, that classification, and then improve upon it. And I think that's what they've done with the normas, whether it be three three eight or even the three hundred norma, because you know our weapons aren't necessarily changing the categories as far as what we're looking at and, and the way we want to use them. We're just kind of looking at, well, how can we accomplish that, that task better? And, you know, and I, Oh, go ahead. No. And I think that's where like the 300 Norma is going to do that compared to a 300 Win Mac. And I think the 338, you know, Norma will do that compared to, you know, even the, 
the three three Lapua. I mean, you know, here you talk about it all the time. You know, people will try to push those those heavier grain, those three hundred grain bullets through Lapuas, and because the way that the cartridge is designed, it doesn't support it. And that's why the Norma, you know, even though it's in the same category of, of cartridge, it can use the heavier grain bullets and have that better effect, whether it be externally or terminally. Um, and I think that's why the 6.5 has a lot of benefits and over, you know, even a 260. Yeah, yeah. And, and just for uh, to kind of clarify, too, you guys are actually looking at like 1,500. You know, I don't know if you're meter or yard, probably meter, right? But uh, 1,500 meters as sort of that ending point to where these should function to X performance, your X degree, you know? So we want to we want to see what a cartridge does to, to today. They're talking 1,500 versus back in my day, it was that 800 to 1,000. Now we're looking at that right around 1,500 mark. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's what you see, so... You know, even when I when I came through the course and I was coming up, you know, in the military and in the sniper community, you know, we were 800 and in. Sure, you know, it was it was funny because with the M24, you know, they would say, "Hey, this is an 800 meter weapon, but it's 1,000 shooter dependent." Well, that's 200 meters different. What? What? Why? Why is it? You know, is it is it not lethal for this guy, but it is lethal for this guy? Well, no, it was lethal all the way across the spectrum, but it was what that shooter could do with it. And when you would imply the, the, the shooter errors to the recipe, um, you know, some guys could only reasonably expect to use that cartridge out to 800 where other guys who, you know, maybe were a little bit more proficient could, could stretch the legs a little bit. And then I think that we saw that with the adoption of the, of the WinMac, you know, the, the WinMac came about because, you know, this is, it's before my time, but from, from, from the, from the knowledge I have of it, you know, we were in Afghanistan and we needed to, you know, be able to shoot from a mountain to another mountain or from a mountain into a valley or whatever that we might be. We needed something that could stretch its legs a little farther. And, and the Army always had a thing for Win Mag. I mean, the M24, even though it was a 308, was a long action. You right. know, it, 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 it was a matter of chambering it to be able to shoot a uh, a 300 win mag for that matter. Well, I guess a bolt too, but yeah, it was, um, it was meant to be switch capable, but not end user switch. You know, it, right. it was meant yeah. that your armory, if they really wanted to can, can spin this rifle up to a 300 win mag where today we're also used to just knocking the quick lock or knocking the screws loose, taking the barrel off and, you know, changing a few parts out. And now, mm-hmm. you know, in three and a half minutes, we're new caliber. Where right. you know the twenty four was supposed to do that, but on a, on a armorer side, not the end user. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I, I alluded to before is it's 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 about overmatch. So it's always about what can be done now. What can our potential enemies do, and where do we want to go? Because we always want to. As you know, we're the biggest. We're the baddest. We're the tough guys on the block. So we don't want to be able to do what everybody else can do. We want to do more. Sometimes we accomplish that and sometimes we don't. And I, I mean, I think that personally, um, from just from my experience with it, I think the, the 2010 was a weapon that should have been 10 years before we actually got it. You know, that, that 300 Win Mag, you know, the capability it developed was something or it brought to the table was something that we needed 10 years before it. And you know, because I think by the time we got to the Win Mag, we were already to the point where we needed something else. Well, and we, you know, back in my day and when this all came about, some of it, it was Russian doctrine, Russian doctrine. 
And, you know, they were using what would technically be considered a bigger cartridge than us. Um, still right. 30 cal, but longer, more of a, more of a, like a 30 odd six, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so they, they're kind of doing that. So when you want to, like you're saying, you want to go one leg up on the, on the competition, you, you're, you're, you're then going to say, okay, my enemy's using a 30 odd six. Well, I'm going to use a 300 win mag, you know? So, sure. so that's kind of that, that mindset to say he's here, which, you know, he was a little technically a little bit bigger than our 308. And then, you know, we're going to move to the 300 win mag. I don't know. Honestly, I paid no attention and I probably should. I, I don't know anything of what the Chinese army system uses. Um, it, with their, <laughs> yeah, gosh, I don't even know either. Yeah, You know, with their <laughs> middle. Should. Right. You know, we probably should because that's probably a driving thing that we always default to Russia because we think, you know, the AK translates all the way over to that. But I know China's starting to make their own. And not yeah. just what, default to the Russian arms. What is that new weapon? I, I remember reading an article about it not too long ago, but it was uh, the new weapon the Russians have. And I think it's a 338 Lapua, but it's supposedly the, it's a 2,000 meter gun. Yes, yes, they do. I don't know the name of it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And it is. They have, a, they have sort of an ELR type deal that's right in that, that zone of like a little bigger than 338. And, um, yeah, there was just a bunch of press on it, and and I, I'm I'm blanking as well, but I know I saw all those articles that came out because they showed, um, like Russians in a firefight or something at night and taking guys out. There was like uh, some infrared footage. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, well, and I think that kind of goes back to the practical application too. Is you know you see a lot of these stats. You know this this is a seven, this is a three three eight Lapua that's going to be a two thousand meter capable gun and. And in whose hands? Right. You know, under what under what conditions is that a two thousand meter gun? Because you know, uh, I think ELR just. You were talking to uh, uh, was it Paul or? Uh, yeah, Paul the other day. Yep. Yeah, about about the ELR game, how they just opened it up to those smaller calibers, and they they created their own classification, and you know how those guys are doing pretty well for a lot of reasons. But still, there's that kind of limitation, right? There's that 2,000, 2,100 meter limitation that those guys, you know, that are shooting those smaller caliber bullets are, are having a hard time, um, you know, having su- success with those impacts out of those distances. Uh, beyond, yeah, the 2,500. Because what I've saw, yeah, okay. the, that's where that's where the, it starts to fall apart. Because, you know, when they do the 1,500, the mile, and then they get right around the 2,000, almost to 2,250, it mm. seems like the hit rate is really good. And then okay. when you get to that 2,500, it's it's better, but it's just starting to come into its own now at 2,500. But if you look like what Paul and some of these the, the, the stats are saying – is if you take that sort of 2,000 meter and bring it in, so from 2,000 meters on in, you are seeing some of these smaller calibers do really well. I mean, if you look at like Scott Satterley with the Night Force ELR event, very few people show up with the 375s because it's a PRS type event. Mm-hmm. There, a lot more are showing up with like PRCs and, and they're using smaller calibers that they're used to 
in that one event and they're doing really well with it. So there, there is sort of this line of thinking, but the problem is coming from your side of the house is no energy on target, but they're just trying to touch and break the paint on the steel so right, that you know, right. if they shoot, and they're a, shooting a thirty-six inch by thirty-six inch target or something. Yeah, that, yeah, and well, that's all the ELR. That's their standardized size is right. thirty-six square, right. and that's for the three shot. But um, I know like Satterley's mixes it up, and he does that like unicorn, the Bigfoots, and all the other weird stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's not doing the ELR record stuff like Paul would be doing. He's doing mm-hmm. more of a of a um extended range PRS match. Right, but he's still right. shooting that far, and guys are seeing success. So there, there there's a, there's a takeaway, I think, on the ELR side in this two thousand meter kind of train of thought is if you look at King of Two Mile and that crowd, what they're doing, and then look at sort of the PRS and Satterley because they're shooting just as far, but what their stats look like, and you really should start, you know, combining those stats and looking at them to say how many rounds, and this was where I was pushing Paul, how many rounds are these guys shooting? How much, you know, is there, if everybody's doing the same thing on a line with very similar equipment, you get one set, set of stats. But then if you take Scott's crew and mix in all their variations and bring those in together, well, that'll change those stats, you know, quite a bit. Absolutely. So, yeah, that was, that was one thing. And, you know, in training too, we should kind of go into uh, get you know off the caliber side for a sec, but get in. You know, now that we have switch barrel rifles, where you're you know three hundred eight, three hundred wind magger Norma, and then the three thirty eight ish up in that area. You know, what becomes the process to train a, a, a sniper? To, to use that and to, and to practice, you know, is he going to practice with the 308 and not burn the barrel out? Or is he going to use his 300 wind mag and know he's going to be switching barrels? Like, you know, because this came up with you and I talking about it uh, with a 300 wind mag where the barrel is on the edge of the military won't replace it, but the right. student has to qualify with it and his accuracy's falling off, but not far enough. He, he you know... He, right, he, he's, right. he's dangling on the cliff by his pinky, but nobody can push him over the side. He has to, he has to work that way where the other guys are standing on the edge and they're fine, you know? So right. there's that thought. Yeah, and, and well, and that, you know, that kind of goes into maintenance and, and, and we can talk about that, but you know, I, I think that that is, that is going to be a, a training gap that we kind of have to overcome. And, and we have to, we have to think about what it is that we really want to do with these systems you know, it, do we really expect people to, you know, with the 2010, I remember when I was instructing that the qualification went to 1200 meters and we just saw terrible, terrible results. And, and I remember some of the instructors that had been there before me and were on their way out, you know, the, the common, the common thing is we always want to blame the student and, you know, they're just not as good as they were before. And they're just, you know, they just, they don't come to us trained as well. And, you know, it's the new generation of shooter. And a few of us, you know, thought about that and we're like, well, is that true? Well, I would say probably to some extent, but also no to some to, to some other extents, because I think that these guys come better prepared in certain aspects than 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 my generation did when we came through. Um, and I think our mission set has changed and, and the way we apply 
this you know this skill set in the battlefield has changed and and then also well th- can the weapon really perform because with a 300 win mag you know of course it can shoot to 1200. It absolutely can shoot to 1200. But when you see a broad range of spectrum, especially in the, you know, what we were talking about before was the muzzle velocity, you know, ranging from 150 to 200 feet per second, plus or minus, you know, at one end, a guy has a great shooting 300 wind mag that's, you know, close to 3000 feet per second with the 190 grains. And on the other end, the guy's breaking into the 2700s. So he's basically got a heavy grain 308, that we're still requiring him to shoot past, you know, to shoot well within the transonic range. And, you know, when I look back through what our POI was and I look back through what our manual now says, you know, basically everything's written up to Mach 1.2. So right at the leading edge of transonic, once we reach that point, we don't expect these guys to shoot that far, you know, to shoot farther than that. And that guy who is shooting, you know, at 2,800 feet per second flat, you know, he's going to reach transonic at 980 meters, give or take. Right. You know, compared to that guy who's in the 3000 who might be able to stretch it to 1100 meters before he reaches transonic. So, so how are those two equal and how are we going to blame that on our students? You know, I don't think it's a student problem. I don't think it's these guys aren't as good as the guys that were before them. I think it's, you know, looking at the equipment that we've given them and just in deciding, you know, we have a gun that can shoot to 1200 meters, but to what, to to what effect, you know, at what point do we decide the hit probability has dropped so low that it's not a, it's not a practical application of fire anymore. Yes. It's still terminally effective, but that means that we hit the target. And so, you know, I looked at our qual and our qual was, it was, um, you know, you had two shots on every target. So that means that to me as you know, with my, the way my mindset works, these guys should be reasonably able to hit this target within a 50% range, you know? Mm -hmm. So if he doesn't hit with the first shot, he should absolutely be able to hit it with the second shot. Well, if I'm at 1200 meters and this guy's gun went transonic at 300 or 300 meters before that, or 200 meters before that, does he still have a 50% hit probability? Uh, I would argue, no, he doesn't. Um, especially next to his sniper buddy <laughs> whose weapon shoots 200 feet per second faster than his. Yeah, and that's demoralizing. You know, we talked about this a little bit, and and, and I thought about it. It's almost as if we, and, and I mentioned this to you, you know, a couple weeks ago, it's almost like we have to have a, a, a lower qual in a way, and like an 800-meter or 1,000-yard qual type of thing. That, that's, that's pass or fail, you're going to be a sniper. But then after that, if you're going to go 12 and 1500, and especially with these weapon systems, the way there's such a variation in them, do you then have a, yes, I'm a sniper and I'm an expert sniper, or yes, I'm a sniper, I'm a marksman sniper, where the, 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 the you know, 1000, the 1200, and the 1500 then become for, for uh, ranking score and not pass or fail? So right. if if you qualify to fifteen hundred, you're the expert. If you only qualify to your thousand, you're the marksman. You know, if 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 you qualify to twelve hundred but not fifteen, you're the sharpshooter. Because you know, like in the Marine Corps, we have that that marksman sharpshooter expert. Sure. But the qual, sure. you know, maybe your qual to to whether you're going to be a sniper 
is to 800 meters or to the thousand meter that we've always done, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And, 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 you know, looking back at the manual we have now, we do have qualification standards across everything, but for our snipers, we kind of just looked at it as you're qualified or you're not. And, you know, in the, in the newest manual we do, we have an expert, a sharpshooter, a marksman, but when we get into the employment portions, we, we talk about, um, you know, the commander having a basically a decision process that he can use based off of his sniper's performance. So it's a guy who's who's fully qualified, but maybe he's qualified um, at such as, you know, he, he can he can judge wind down to one mile an hour. Uh, you know, he can estimate distance, you know, to within five uh, percent error. Uh, he can, you know, his 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 qualification score is you know, 36 out of 40 or, or whatever the number is and, and basically grade those snipers. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is a potentially common sense approach to it. I, you know, it's I've a data driven approach. It's science. No, it's a data driven approach where, yes, that the, the, the instruct, the, the commander can have a flashcard system or, you know, he pulls Frank up and Frank can, has all these skills that he looks at. Then he pulls Chris up and he goes, Whoa, look at Chris. Chris can do all this. So when I have this mission, Frank's going to be sort of the battalion site security guy, and Chris is going out in the field, and he's going to run ops, you know? And, right. And, and so that that becomes a decision-making point, and I think that's valid. I think having—I mean, we're, we're so computer-driven in everything we're doing. We're so, you know, information-heavy now. Why not, not say to a commander, here's more data for you to make a choice? And, and it's, Absolutely. it's not a bad idea. Yeah. And, and some of our peers do that. I mean, we got to work a lot um, in my last couple of years with, with some of the Israeli snipers and, and, you know, for one, when they graduate their course, they come out with a scorecard. So it says, Hey, this guy's trained and he's proficient at these tasks to this degree. And so the commander has, has, has a great card on that guy and he, and he knows how to use them, you know, and same thing with, uh, you know, and, and, and they actually recertify, you know, uh, I don't know how often biannually or annually or something, but, you know, kind of where we are, once you're a sniper, I mean, you got to maintain your, maintain your annual qual and that was kind of it. Um, and I think that that is something we have to look at. It's, you know, how do we develop these guys? How do we, you know, how do we train them and, and to what proficiency and, and maybe, yeah, like we give a classification, you know, this guy is an, you know, he's a sniper, but you know, he is employed as an SDMR. Okay. This guy's a sniper, but he's deployed as a conventional sniper or, or whatever it might look like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and I think this is the perfect, I mean, we, I, I look at us right now is, you know, 2020 in general, we're in a reset mode. You know, this that we, we've shut everybody down. We've, we've turned the world off. Okay, we're off. Let's turn us back on and relook at, I mean, you know, I'm today I'm setting up a computer and, and doing some stuff and I'm going through and I'm, I'm checking my file system. Okay, are these in here? Oh, do I have my Google Drive in my Finder? Okay, let me add that. You know, and I'm, I'm playing with all these things today because new computers here, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so to, I, should, I, I look at like 2020, as you know think back on what you're doing look at at your processes in in even if you're le guy out there and you're a team leader maybe reset your guys maybe look at this and say hey maybe i could be a little smarter with employment you know we had a little hiccup on this job and how do we fix that hiccup now moving forward 
on a on a bigger training side, I mean, it all comes down to training, and I get you guys' tempo is just through the roof. And that that to me would be the only reason why you can say like a student coming up today might be less trained because his operational tempo was high, you know, where, and and so maybe he hasn't had the chance, but I mean, I just know from like my standpoint where we trained a lot, you know, you're going to go to sniper school. Okay. Do the land nav. All right. Do the, do the observation stuff to practice. Okay. You're going to do your, your PFTs and your things like that. We never really focused on the shooting side because we just don't do it that much. Right. You know, as far as like just going out and shooting like we do on the range, like someone in a competition mindset might do. I mean, if you look at a guy who's who's a a top 20 comp guy, he's shooting every week most likely. He's going out there and he's shooting, 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 shooting. He doesn't have to land nav. He doesn't have to do all these other things. He's not doing ruck marches. He's not, you know, doing all these, you know, tasks to get you there and get you home. He just shoots. Right. And the military guy can't do that. So the shooting becomes secondary. So the mindset becomes, well, how do we make it effective, but a little easier to train and a little easier to maintain because the tempo just doesn't allow for, you know, let's face it, you as an individual in a unit, you're not burning out barrels the way you should be. Right. And I think that kind of leads back to that practical application and, you know, and then, and then the, the TTP verse for, for, for verse proficiency. I know I hear you talk about that, you know, especially with the reticles, um, you know, you, you're like, Hey, the military reticle has a purpose, you know, it's, it's used for these TTPs. Well, you know, on the training side, I mean, we want to train to proficiency, but at the same time, especially on the military, we have to train. We only have so much time to train. We only have so many bullets, so many resources. And in, in the end, we have to close with the enemy, destroy them, and can then come back home alive. And so since we don't have an MOS or, or a career field for snipers and the military has just never really kind of shown an, an appetite for that. And, and, and who knows if they will. I mean, I know that that's everybody's go-to is, well, this needs to be an MLS. Well, you know, it's not, and it, and it hasn't been, and it, and it might never be. So, um, you know, maybe we do have to lend ourselves to TTPs because they allow us to train to a, the lowest common denominator, but a, a common denominator that allows us to be lethal. Yeah. You and, know? And, and so does that mean that we can't shoot that 2010 to 1200? Maybe, but does it mean that, Hey, you know, my proficiency level at a thousand meters of the 2010 is, is astronomical. Right. And, and that's not a bad thing, but I, and I think to like Paul's interview uh, with the ELR stuff, he's talking about the game changer for him and his success was actually going out in, in not faking the ELR. Cause so not enough people have access to long ranges, right? So a lot of the mm-hmm. ELR guys were working up all their rifle systems inside a thousand, you know, so right. we're, we're doing all that work inside of a thousand to, to go to a king of two mile type event and then to execute to two to three times the distance. And in the yes. scores, everybody looks at those scores and looks at all these things and goes, wow, these guys aren't really good. But, you know, Paul saying, well, now instead of doing that inside a thousand work to the degree we did in the past, we're um, his team is focused on 
practical application at the distances they're going to see. So kind of what you and I are talking about is the fact that, you know, training is accomplishing one thing, but it's, it's sort of um, approximating the real world qual, I guess is a way or your qual. Right. Cause you know, the, uh, a unit may not have access to tell a guy, okay, Hey, you guys got a qual coming up, go there and practice. It usually yeah. happens all the same week. You know what I mean? You're going to, you're going to qual, you show up on the range the same day. And, and it's like, right. okay, you got two days of practice and tomorrow you're going to qual. And it's like, okay, cool. But you know, all throughout the year, you're not doing that. You're not getting that practical 1200 meter shots. Sure. And if we were, that, that might become a more realistic shot. You know, our, our, our probability levels might go much higher because sure you can engage targets well into transonic, you know, you can, you can engage targets at, at subsonic and with a 300 whip mag, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, it still may have the terminal effect that is necessary, but, but we can't and we don't, or at least we don't, I should say. And so, you know, we have to train to be effective at what we can do. And so, you know, and I think that was a, a, a mindset shift at the schoolhouse when I was there was, you know, it was a seven week course, five weeks of it was continuous shooting uh, with the, with the one tens and the 20 tens. And almost all of it was done from your belly. And it was like two weeks of gathering data, you know, and, and then, and then a qual for, you know, a couple of days. And then you'd switch to the next weapon system. And it was like two weeks of gathering data and then you'd qual. And then it was another two weeks of gathering data on moving targets. And then you would qual. And it was like, this is making our guys better shooters, absolutely. But is this making them effective shooters? Probably not. And so we we shifted to more, you know, alternate firing positions. We shifted to more rapid target engagements, complex engagements, and we got these guys up off their belly because it was like, hey, the way you're going to fight is going to be different than the way that we've, you know, historically trained you. And so since we can't really train that way and expect you to be good at this other stuff, we have to kind of start training you a different way now. And, you know, it kind of lended to the TTPs. It kind of lended to the Milgrid reticles. It lended to, you know, uh, you know, uh, 12 and 20 inch drills that would allow us to use the top hats to rapidly range a target and then maximize the, the danger space of that bullet, you know, and, and to be able to score an acceptable hit in an acceptable amount of time. And we started to train the guys to fight, you know, from the ground up and from the ground down, you know, because when you have to start engaging your enemy, you don't know what position you're going to be in. You know, we'd all love to be in a hide site, you know, all snuggled up and have all kinds of time to prepare for a shot. But, you know, what we're finding out more often than not is the guy's on a patrol or he's moving into an area or, you know, and then he gets engaged and it's like, okay, well, you know, you need to deal with those short range targets quickly while standing with a sniper rifle and then fight your way down into that long range position and be able to, or that stable position and be able to engage at farther distances. Yeah. I mean, and that's a perfect segue into that radical choice that everybody was kind of going on where, you know, like you just said, all those points, you want to fight with that system and in the fight, you know, you're looking at speed, you're looking at accomplishing multiple tasks, the unknown distance, you know, a, a reduced size target probably where it's partial exposures and snap exposures and things like that. So that brings us right into that radical discussion, you know? So- yeah, so, and I just want to say this up front, you know, 
people were losing their mind over that reticle. We saw all kinds of stuff. That reticle is nothing new. You know, the military has been using it or the army has been using it for, I don't know. I think it was designed four or five years ago. I remember using it in a Mark five, five by 25. Um, when I first showed up to the schoolhouse. So that was 2017. Here we are in 2020 and people are talking about a reticle like it's new. It's like, yeah, sure. Is it the best? No. Is, is there better stuff that's come out since? Yes. Well, we're not taking a, a you know, a, a 10 year old design and coming forward with it today and saying, Hey, this is the best thing that we've ever had. Well, this is actually something we've had for a while. And we've well, in the Horus, the Horus got pretty widespread on, especially on the SOCOM side, Around yeah. 2005 to 2008, it started really trickling in heavier. So this stuff has been around for 10 years from a Horus standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so grid reticles aren't new and there's something like that. No. And, and it's, a, you know, it, it's, I can keep my hands on the weapon system. It's sort of like a, to me, I look at like the, the mindset behind that is an AR guy. Okay, I want to minimize how many times my hand's coming off the gun to run controls. You know what I mean? I don't want to do failure drills and these things. I don't want to be coming up and and fiddling with knobs. I want to just be able to run a gun and, 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 you know, for us, it'd be cycling the bolt. And really, that's all Mm -hmm. I'm going to do is cycle the bolt. Yeah. You know, whether I'm standing, sitting, kneeling, standing, running, moving, dropping down or whatever, all I have to focus on is cycling the bolt. Right. Right. Well, and so, I, you know, I, I guess kind of the, the, the way that, you know, we apply that or the way that we were applying it when I was at the schoolhouse and trying to train these students was, you know, you're using those those rapid target engagement techniques. You know, you're going to use those top hats. You're going to flash mill something. Um, and that's for those, ra- those, you know, obviously they're rapid target engagements, but that's for, I'm, you know, I'm moving into an area, I'm exfilling from an area, I'm on a patrol, okay, a target presents itself and I need to take a shot. And if it's going to, if it's going to present itself like that, and I need to take a shot, it's, you know, we're in a relatively close distance, you know, we're in that three to 600 meter range. Because if it's within 300, it's not really the sniper's mission to, to engage, although he obviously can. But if it's past 300, that's when that designated marksman or a sniper's role starts to come in. And so with those rapid target engagement techniques that we were training, it would allow those guys to engage those targets, you know, even limited, limited exposure targets because the 12 inch drill is, I mean, that's, that's the, the break of the shoulders to the top of your head, generally speaking, whether it be frontal facing or, or flanking. Um, but it allow you to, to provide a snap mill and engage a target. And then when you can get into a stable position where you get into the prone or, or, or set up a tripod, well, now you can start to mill off the reticle and, and get a finer, refined uh, measurement of that target and then use that formula to determine what your engagement distance is, you know, all the way out through, you know, eight, nine, 100 or 1,000 Yeah, 1, just to, meters. for the guys listening, when, when, when Chris is talking the top hat, that is the flash ranging system where, you know, back in my day, we had the, we had the formula. So you had to do the whole worm formula. And then, you know, move forward, we, we put, we make a cheat sheet where it's the formula's already pre-done and we just look at the mills on like a, on a, a laminated chart. So I know that target is, like you said, 12 inches. I got a 12-inch target. I, I throw my reticle up. Okay, it's 0.6 wide. And then I just go down to the 0.6 and over to the 12 and it tells me it's this far away. 
And I go, okay, cool. And that's all I have to do. I don't have to do the longhand math. What you guys did with the top hat is you, you, you line it up on the target and whatever answer it gives you is the hold. So right. if, it, if it's telling you it's three mils when you, when you flash it on the top hat, that's what you hold to hit it is three mils. Right. So just, just to clarify, even with, even with the Horus version, so that's not actually a mil reading. Right. It's actually just a, it's it's a, it's a number. It's a, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's one a through five. You have a one. Through yeah. One through five. I think it's one through five of the army reticle and it's, it's two through 10 or, yep, on the or Horus. something like that on the Horus. And that's, that is your mill hold. That's not the mill height of the target. And that's where I think some people get confused because really that, that 10 or that one, I guess I really should say is a whole mill. Right. You know, and then, and then the, I think the eight on the Horus is equivalent to, you know, uh, I don't know, eight point eight mils. Um, and I think that's the way it goes. And, and so, but on the army reticle, you know, the way they designed it was one, two, three, four, um, five, and, and that's your hold. And that, and that's that 308 caliber or the 30 caliber bullet in the 308 out to 600 meters. That's what your holds, you know, and obviously that's not, that's not a precise, that's not an exact hold, but what it does is it allows you to maximize the effect of the, of the danger space that that bullet creates while traveling through the air to be able to get a hit or at least to be able to get a hit close and be able to make a follow-up adjustment. Right. And, and that's, you know, in, in, in the kind of, you know, again, for people who are out there listening, when, when I was working down Texas and, and there was a mix of sort of like some units had Horus, a lot of units didn't at the time, you would do sort of a BZO, uh, Battle Site Zero, which, uh, you know, in your mind, you had to have forethought and you had to say, okay, I'm going to dial on my 400-yard dope and then right. I'm going to be poor able to... Poor man's Horus. Right, a poor man's Horus, and then I'm going to be <laughs> able to do all these different things where if you look at sort of the Horus or the, the grid reticle... It's like, well, I don't have to have forethought. I don't have to dial anything. I just have to look through the reticle and know what my dope is. So then I can use the lines. And the fact that you may be dynamic, you may be fast, you may be this, and you might be two to two tenths off of your hold a little bit. Maybe you're not perfect, but you're still going to get that man size hit. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, no big deal. And so that's where that trade off comes in. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be faster on the gun because I don't have to take my hands off of it. I don't have to come out of it, you know, to dial something on. I, I'm going to be dynamic and have all this information right in front of me, like a HUD. I mean, we just don't have the electronic HUDs on us, it's, so we etch it. And, right. and if you look at sort of the David Tubb the reticle, you know, his DTR reticle, he's, he's got lots of data in there. If you lower the power... He's got um, like DA charts and he's got all kinds of stuff that then appear in the reticle. So wow. he's, he's creating a HUD so you can then determine what you need looking through the scope. Now, it's a lot of math with his, but at mm -hmm. the same time, it's meant to put all that data in front of you so you don't ever have to come out of the glass. Yes, yes. And, th and that's the thing is, you know, we started to look at snipers and we said, you know, what is our operating environment now compared to where it was 10, 15, 20 years ago? And, and, and how do we how do we make these guys lethal? How do we make them effective on a battlefield? We won't always be crawling on our bellies through the woods with tons of camouflage on, setting up a hide site and, and killing the, the Korean general. 
you know, or the yeah, yeah, yeah. general. Yeah, the Vietnamese you general, know, right. Sometimes sometimes we're just we're just gonna be walking down the road and then have to take a shot. And uh, you know, I, I actually got a chance to compete over in Israel and they had a stage that it was a patrol stage because a lot of their conventional guys, that's that's how they're utilized. They're they, they patrol with everybody else and then they have to action. And so they took us up and down a mountain and it was like, you know, you went down a mountain. All right, now set up and engage and you have two minutes to go. Yeah, all right. And, you know, and then it was, as soon as your engagement time was done, pack up and you're going right back up the mountain. And then we got to the next spot. It was OK, two minutes to engage and, you know, set up your set up your equipment, and engage your targets, go, because that's how they have to fight. And, and we were like, you know, this is actually you know, we're not seeing the hits on target as, as much as we would like to, or as much as we're kind of more comfortable with, but you know, this is the practical application of fire in this environment. And what we found was that's actually a lot more practical application of fire in the environments we are seeing. You know, so that's it, why we kind of changed that mindset and started to change the way that we were training our, our snipers. I, I get a, I get a little frustration too. Uh, that's directed my, cause like if I'm teaching a class or something and people ask about competitions and everything, it's like, well, you know, they, they want to know about a comp and how to train for a comp. And it's like, well, you train for a comp by shooting a comp, but you also train right. for a comp by shooting the <clears throat> stages. So you would take a match booklet and I would say to somebody, go take a match booklet and that's your drills. Right. You know, right. And, and I and, keep those match booklets so that way I can replicate it. Right. Not always good about doing it, but <laughs> right. you know, so I can replicate But it. I do keep that. But that's it. But then the thing is because you're telling them, you, you know, you're, you're giving them a two-part answer. Part one is they have to go out and research what drills are currently being shot in the competition series. Or two, they need to go to a series and then get the booklet that they're going to get and then go home after and train to that standard. But, the, the you know, it's like, well, if I just tell you to go out and dope your rifle to a 1,000 yards, make sure your software's all good, and then, you know, do all the, the these prone things like we're talking about and now you're going to go shoot a PRS NRL competition that's all off your belly. Well, I didn't do you any favors by telling you to shoot prone. But if I say, hey, listen, you know, this competition is going to have 20 stages. These stages are going to include three variations on a barricade, three variations on a tank trap, you know, three variations on a mover combined with this and and, and so on, you know, or, or it's, might be three variations of sitting, three variations of kneeling, three variations of standing, three variations of prone, you know, and now you, you, you know, how do you tell somebody to practice that without them actually going out and practicing that exact thing? Sure. And I think that's where there's a lot of confusion between what we do and what the, the competition shooting community does. And, and I see it on both sides. I see it from the civilian aspect and I see it from the military aspect. I shoot competitions myself and, you know, probably mediocre at best, but, you know, we get guys all the time that, oh, you, well, you should be shooting this caliber. You should be shooting this gun because this gun's the best. And you guys should be shooting with this optic because this is, this is the best optic. And, uh, or, you know, I've even seen it where guys will go and shoot well in a, in a civilian competition and then say, well, Hey, can I come and shoot your guys's competition? Well, well, no, <laughs> because well, for one, you're not military or law or law enforcement, but, but, but these are different than, and, and, and not that any one is better than the other. It's just it's just a different way of doing things, and it's for a different purpose. And so, if I use your gun to do what I need to do, would it work? I don't know. Do you? 
You know, have you jumped out of an airplane into negative 30 degree weather and then shot your rifle? Did it work? No, you, you didn't do that. You, you never have. And so, you know, I can't necessarily rely on your piece of equipment. And just like my piece of equipment may not be the best for doing your job, for doing what you do with your, with your rifle. And so, you know, we can't lend ourselves to every trend that we, that we see, you know, it's funny because Kalen and Phil, I always hear them talking about, you know, free recoiling and, and, or I hear Phil talk about free recoiling and then I talk about the, the application of the fundamentals and, and stuff. And it's like, well, you know, some of those fundamentals can be, you know, we can, we can go away from them with some of the equipment we see out there. You know, you can put it on a tripod and free recoil it. Well, I can't always shoot from a tripod. I can't always shoot off of a game changer bag. I can't always shoot, you know, in all these things that we see in competition. So I have to be able to train with what I will have on the battlefield. And, um, and, and that might not lend itself well to the competition world, but just realize that some of that competition world stuff might not lend itself well to, my military application. Right. I and, mean, yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry. And I think, I think guys need to, you know, I think that we do need to have that overlap. I think one drives the other and makes the other better. And I, you know, would encourage my, my instructors that work for me to go out and shoot competitions. I shot competitions. I helped RO competitions. Um, you know, I still do that and I still encourage that, but you know, it, it there's, there's a time and a place and you got to think about, well, well, what is, right for these different applications. And that's why I think a lot of military guys transfer over and they kind of suck in the competitive shooting world until they can change that mindset. But, um, you know, I think there's just a difference and we have to acknowledge that it doesn't make one better or worse. Um, right. You know, it's just different. It, it's just different. And, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, you're, you got a three quarter MOA, 300 win mag, and this guy's shooting, you know, a probably better than quarter minute dasher. You know, you number one, they have zero energy on target with a lot of stuff they're doing, you know, small amounts, it, 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 that kind of thing compared to it. So, yeah, there's that part of it. But the tolerances, the weights, the lengths, the you know, you're going to go yeah. you're, at what point on a on a, you know, three click walk through the woods. Does that rifle that's long, hard and heavy like that? That's in a comp setting going to now become annoying as hell. Well, I had the perfect I had a I had a specific I actually kind of have two and I'll try to keep them quick stories that relate to that. So first being, I remember when I, uh, when I turned 21, I bought my first pistol. Um, my friend, uh, you know, best friend from back home, he, he turned 21 around the same time and he bought his first pistol and we went shooting one day and he had bought this really, really nice Smith and Wesson 1911. And, you know, he bought some nice ammo, put it in this gun and this thing would shoot bug holes. It was like, you know, it shot for you. I, Cause I'm not a great pistol shooter, but with this thing, I was awesome. And I'm like, yeah, this thing's great. And I remember we we got we ran through all the ammo that he had brought with him. And so we, you know, we go back upstairs into the, the gun shop and we say, hey, uh, you know, we need some more ammo. Uh, give me the, give me that stuff right there, you know. And it's just some cheapy stuff. And we took it down, loaded up in his gun, and it wouldn't. It it just it was malfunction after malfunction after malfunction. And it was like, what the heck is going on right now? So we bought some more of the nice ammo the next time we went out, and it. And it functioned flawlessly. Well, I had a cheaper mil spec 1911, and my gun would shoot all of it. It did not matter. Now, it didn't shoot great always, but it would shoot all of it. And it was like, I don't want your gun. Your gun shoots so much better than mine, but I can't rely on it. You know? 
And, and, and I, and I saw that, you know, when we were getting ready to go and compete over in Israel, um, you know, uh, a company took care of us and they got us some better ammo than a lot of the mil spec stuff we have. And we told them like, Hey, we're going to shoot through gas guns. Um, cause we were going to go shoot. And we actually brought six, five Creedmoors over there with, uh, with us. And so they sent us this ammo and I came out to one of the, uh, MPA one day PRS matches, uh, me and Chris, Chris R and we were going to compete with them, you know, just to practice. And, uh, after the third stage, we packed up and left because we were blowing primers. Like it was our job. You know, <laughs> I even, I had, I had a primer that got dislodged and went down into my trigger, you know? And so I'm like, I'm the, I'm on the firing line. Well, not on the firing line anymore, but I come off the firing line. I'm over there popping the pins out of my gun to remove the trigger so I can get the primer from underneath the trigger. And it was like, well, we can't shoot this ammo, you know? And so I had to go back to him and say, Hey guys, you know, I can't, something's wrong. Right. We're blowing primers. Like it's like, you know, we're not even shooting suppressed right now. And we're definitely going to be shooting suppressed when we go and compete. And they were like, Oh yeah, the ammo is really kind of loaded for bulk guns. It doesn't, that doesn't do me any good. No, it breaks your brain, man. It, it, there's such a mindset side of this. And, and when something like that just breaks your rhythm, breaks your brain, it, it's, it's done. You're like, you're like, you know, leaving after three stages, that's probably the right decision. Cause the rest of your day, you're just going to be making yourself more frustrated. Right. Right. You know, and with that frustration on the line comes potential to, you know, to, to not have control of your system and, and I don't know, be a safety, be a safety issue. So we, yeah, we just called it and it was funny cause you know, we sent that ammo back. They were real good to us. They gave us our money back and, um, we got linked in with another company, Gorilla, you know, remember they yep, provided yep. all that ammo. They provided all that ammo for, um, for, uh, the, the gathering. gathering. Right. Year. Right. And, you know, we started to shoot their stuff and, and it was a little bit slower. And, and so, you know, part of me was like, man, I wish this, you know, I wish this stuff shot a little flatter. I wish it was a little faster, but man, was it reliable, man. I mean, we're talking sub tens on every lot of ammo I ever got from them for SDs. And we never, never had another problem with our guns. And it was like, well, we can rely on this. And, and we did well. I mean, we took those guns, we competed against guys shooting three, three, eight Lapua's, you know, and, uh, and, and, and did well. I mean, we took third place and we felt very confident in it. And it was like, well, we had guns we could rely on. We had ammo we rely on. We had training that, that was relative to what we were doing. And we just applied those fundamentals practically and, and all those the equipment practically. And, and we did good at some things, probably not so good at other things. But we were just kind of well-rounded. And, and what I would say was just overall lethal. I mean, and, and that's what we do. Yeah, I mean, the main part, like, to go back to this, what you're saying, and what it comes down to is compromise. And so, like, when we train the military guys, and, and this is something I don't talk about near as much. I, I mention it. I touch on especially, like, my PR2. Mm -hmm. But that trading off and indexing. We always used to go to the military guys because it's that cold, wet, and hungry. It's coming out of an airplane. It's doing all these different things that you'll do. And it's like, okay, you just... You know, you're, you're on a mountain in Afghanistan. The weather's not good. Everything's going on. Well, your body's not functioning the way it should. You've been out there too long. You're droning. You're, you know, all these different things are just on the negative side of the column. So sure. you, you have to trade off those negatives for all the positives. But you want, you're, it's like recognizing it. It's just basically saying to the shooter, recognize 
you're you're trading off on this and you want to index on these. You know, so trade off the, you know, my hands are cold. I don't have gloves on and, and I can't feel my fingers. So my trigger control shouldn't be, but it's going to be slightly compromised. Sure. You know, maybe I can't feel them the way I want to. So I want to make sure my MPA is lined up. So if I do kind of yank the trigger a little bit, I don't pull me too far off target. You know, I want to make sure that this is happening, that is happening when I can. You know, you got to trade off on what you can't control and index on those things you can. And, and that's part of that conversation that I think gets kind of left behind with the people who criticize you know, from, from, you know, a thousand miles away, it's like, oh, I'm over sure. here and, 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 and that's not cool. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, these guys have a different job. This is a different mission. This is a, you know, I don't get to roll up, park my car, walk 20 yards, <laughs> shoot a stage, go to stage two and go, oh, wait a minute. You know what would work really good here is that thing I got in my car 10 yards behind me. Hang on. I'll right. be right back. You know, sure. go over, grab that, and it's like, hey, I got this now. And then you go down to stage eight, and you're at eight, and you go, you know what? We got eight, nine, and ten. I don't need any of this junk to carry anymore. I'm going to go throw it back in my car. Right. You know, and, and yeah. 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 You get it. You get it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I totally get it. it was, you know, it's funny. is uh, I, The first time I went out to an ELR match, I actually helped RO it. A buddy of mine was running it over here in Georgia. It was the first one that, I guess – had really been run on this side of the country, at least in a long time. And at the end of it, they were kind of doing an AR. And I remember one of the competitors saying, Hey, you know, one thing we need to look at is safety. You know, we didn't even look at safety because I just saw stuff on the line today that I didn't think was very safe. And what was funny is, you know, all the ROs were actually sniper school instructors. We came down to help out and we were like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Safety is the problem. And, and so we kind of went back and, and those guys were used to walking up, setting a gun down, leaving it. When it was their time to fire, they'd come over, they'd lay down behind it, and they would shoot targets. And so when guys were, you know, were especially with the smaller calibers, they're getting up and they're moving their guns, you know, they weren't used to seeing that. Yeah, they wanted another level of micromanagement where in the military it's big boy rules, you know. Sure, sure. And, and, and of course, you know, we see things when we RO that, you know, some things aren't safe and some guys don't just, just not aware. But for the most part, it's like we were running that. So we were running it like we would at our range. And it was like if a guy gets up and points his gun, you know, down at the ground or, you know, as you see, most people starting a stage with their gun pointed in the air, but the magazine's out or whatever it is, their bolts locked to the rear, you know, that can still be safe. Sure, it might not be safe, but it, it, it can still be safe. So just that guy getting up and moving his gun was enough to trigger that one competitor to, to think that guys were being unsafe and it was like, man, you just come from a totally different world. Than, than well, most it's, of it's, these it's guys boat people. It's guys. the seals and boat people, which, you know, muzzles in the air versus mm -hmm. the helicopter people, which is muzzles on the deck. Right. You know, right. you get in a boat, your, your muzzle goes up, you get in a helicopter, your muzzle goes down and, and it's like, sure. oh, okay. And so when you get to a competition, that's always that question. Is it muzzle up, muzzle down? We don't, we don't want suitcase. You, you know, for even for me, I there, there's because I'll run shorter barrels or different things. If I sling a rifle muzzle up on me, I'm pointing at your face, dude. Yeah. You know, if it, especially yeah. if I'm on an angle. So I should be muzzled down because I'm shorter and all my stuff's going to be pointing up where if you go muzzle up, there's nobody over your head. 
Right. You know, so there, there's, the, it's, it's, you know, where are you? What are you listening? You know, where are you thinking? And, and it's common sense in a lot of ways, but the problem is, is the common sense changes from application to application in some cases, not big, tiny, but it's just right. enough to be annoying where one guy can go, oh, you guys all, you know, had your muzzles down and these guys all had our muzzles up. And it's like, well, you're army and they're in helicopters more often. So they're muzzled down. And these guys are Navy and they're in boats more often and they're muzzles up. And it's like, oh, okay, well, which one do you want? <laughs> right. You know, boats sink when you put holes through the bottom of them. Yeah. Helicopters, it, helicopters fall out of the air when you put bullets up through them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the point, guys. Right. Right. You know, and that's, and that's just where it is. Hey, I don't know how much time you got, but we're at the hour, man. And I don't want to start a new topic if, if you're there. We're, we're, we're this, this has been flowing so great. I think this sure. has been an awesome, awesome discussion. Um, Absolutely. So uh, it might be a good spot to wrap up, and, and if you got anything to plug, which I don't think you do, but you might. Um, uh, oh no, I mean I do have a match coming up. Oh, you do? That's out. right. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, we were supposed to run a, a designated marksman match um, in April. I think it was the eleventh or twelfth. I can't even remember now. And uh, of course, COVID you know came up and kicked us all straight in the ball. So we had to reschedule that, and uh, it's June sixth. You know, out of Panteo. Uh, uh, Pantano Sportsman's Club in South Carolina, but we're sold out. So uh, <laughs> unless somebody wants to show up and try to register day of, um, we don't need to do too big of a plug on that one. Nice, nice. And and so yeah, you're running, you're running some little comps, going and doing some stuff back east, which is good. Now, I mean, at least the season's starting to ramp back up. People are are, are getting out there again and, and doing some stuff. I I know. I'm going to be on on the road in, in, in a week and doing Alaska and stuff like that and then heading down to the Minnesotas and all those other places when they they decide to open up. But um, no, this was a great conversation, and I think we can even you know do some more down the way with it. But th- this flowed yeah, sure. really well, and it was awesome. So I appreciate Absolutely. Chris uh, coming on and, 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 and doing all that. And, man, that, it was just fun. So is that two Chris's in a row? Yeah, Chris Weinke on. Last one, right? I had John Norris in between. Oh, okay. I haven't listened yeah, to Chris, that Yeah, Chris, Chris Winky no, or whatever. He said Winky. Going. He calls it Winky. Look, I don't know how to pronounce his name. No, All I, know I don't think I anybody does. To, I love to listen to him talk. I had a, you know, I met him a couple of years ago. And we, he's kind of sexy, you know? Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, he's a hunk. And, and just when he talks, I, you know, I stop talking and I listen. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know what? Marines aren't supposed to put their hands in their pocket, but you start to hear him in, in, in the next thing you know. <laughs> Our hands start going in our pocket, and it's all crazy. Right. Nah, but he was a good dude. Yeah, that was that was strange. And then I had John Norris was the uh, uh like the special operations game warden guy who does the drug interdiction stuff. Oh, I have to listen. To that. Yeah, the hidden war. Um, he does. He's the California. Um, does the cartels, and I guess there's even some better stories with like punji stick pits and different things that I didn't Oof. even get to. Um, because he just came off a Joe Rogan podcast after you know prior to doing mine. And, uh, and I think Joe does like two to four hours or something like that. Oh, yeah, those are long. And and so I only did the hour. But, yeah, there was John Norris. But, yeah, Chris Winky from AB. And, and and so I know you guys all all hooked in with all that. And, and mm-hmm. then, yeah, so almost two Chris's in a row. Yeah, uh, you know, he's actually taking me out on a date, you know, funny enough, at a, a SHOT Show. Oh, nice. You know, oh, yeah, we had a, we had a little we, – we, we were going to have a meeting. And next thing you know, he was buying me lunch and – 
was like, I kind of like how this played out. Yeah, yeah. You, you're you're <laughs> at Shot Show, man. I, I think I went on a date with you too. And and then, well, oh. you might have taken me on a couple, but that's, yeah, you know, that's for another podcast. Yeah, exactly. All right, Chris, I'm going to close this out. Stay on the line really quick, and but I appreciate it. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Everyday Sniper podcast. Don't forget to go on the app and comment. You've been lacking on your comments. Most of you guys aren't listening as much because of COVID, but um, cool. I really appreciate Chris coming on and all this, so don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to comment. Don't forget to share these podcasts on uh, social media, and we will talk to you soon. We're out of here.